Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Awesome. Why don't we stand and just pray here quickly as we get started into the Word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we're your church and that we get to hear your Word today, and we thank you that it transforms us and changes us from the inside I want you to say this when we say, Heavenly Father, speak to me today and help that preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God is good. <clears throat> so we're talking about prayer. We started a series on prayer last, um, last week, and um, this week we're going to be speaking about steadfast prayer. And I think it's important uh, that we have the right foundation. How many know foundations are important? If you don't have a good foundation under your house, you know it's not going to last as long. Uh, we have to have the right foundation. And uh, you don't pray because you have to pray. You pray because you want to pray. That's the right foundation. And if we get the foundation right, um, everything changes. How many know that? Right? And so I wanted to talk to you uh, this morning out of the book of uh, the Galatians. And I want to give you a little bit of the context of what was happening uh, in that church. There was a group of people called Judaizers. They were people that were Jews that had converted to the faith. And uh, they, they were causing, they were really false teachers in the day, and they came into the church. And Judaizers taught that certain Old Testament laws were still binding upon Christians. And uh, they, they uh, taught that, that Gentiles must be circumcised to fully experience salvation. And so Gentiles, if you don't know, they're uh, non-Jews. So we're, most of us here, unless you're Jewish by birth, uh, you're a Gentile. So if I had a sermon right now that said you must... Repent, give your heart to Jesus, and book an appointment at the doctors, men, and get circumcised. The church would be a very small church, amen? Wouldn't be growing. We wouldn't be having revival. But, you know, these people were teaching this, that, um, that full-grown men, uh, when they got saved, they had to go get circumcised. Uh, they believed that faith in Christ was necessary, uh, but inadequate. And here's the key inadequate. There's things you have to do. There's laws you have to follow. There's things you have to attain to in order to be saved. And um, one must add to faith observance of the laws, what they taught. You have to follow the laws of Moses. But Paul insisted that salvation was by grace through faith alone. Say alone. It's our faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross that saves us, not our works. Right? For we've all sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And our works are as filthy rags before the Lord. He's righteous. And so it, Paul was teaching, listen, we, we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ and in his word alone. And so the Judaizers taught that Paul was a secondhand apostle, uh, that Peter and James were true apostles, but he was inferior to them because he preached this greasy grace message, is what, what they basically assumed of him. And they taught that Paul was a compromiser, that Paul was trying to make the gospel more attractive to people by removing the demands of the law. And, and the book of Galatians, basically, if you read through it, it's Paul's, Paul is basically dismantling their propaganda and showing them for what they are. And we see here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, he says, Paul says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Next, yeah. 
Let me ask you, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the laws of Moses? And I want to stop there for a second because I think that's a question that we should ask ourselves regularly. Did we, did we receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the laws and trying to be good? Any hands here? And, and so he's asking the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the laws of Moses? Of course not. He says, you received the Spirit because you believed. Um, the message you heard about Christ. And, and so when we put our faith in the message of Christ and the, and the cross and that he forgave us of our sins and we believe it in our hearts, we're saved. Amen? And, and we have to realize it is because we believed in what he accomplished that we can enter into rest, that we can enter into relationships. See, God's part was he put on flesh, sent his son, put on flesh, because the first Adam messed it up, right? So he became the second Adam. He came and he lived a sinless life. He was tempted in every way that you're tempted, yet without sin. He went through life. He went through persecution. He was mocked, but he brought the kingdom of God to the earth, okay? So he lived this life. Then he dies a sinner's death on a cross. Should have been us. I think Barabbas was the one who really got the first revelation. You know, I should be on that cross, but Jesus is on that cross. I'm a convicted sinner, but he's a holy man. They let Barabbas go, and you've been let go. I've been let go from the punishment of death because of our Savior. And so he goes to the cross, right? And, and, and he, he, he dies he goes to hell. He defeats death in the grave. And, and he raises again. He ascends to heaven. He takes his blood. He puts it on the mercy seat. And then he says, all you need to do is believe that I did it. Put your faith in it and you shall be saved. And by believing in Christ and the finished work of the cross and recognize that we're sinners and apart from him, we can do nothing. He, he does this amazing thing. He sends his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. I mean, did you know that Christianity is the only religion in the world that claims that their God comes and lives within them? That we become temples of the Holy Spirit? Like when you think about that, you get pretty excited. That God lives on the inside of me. I don't have to wait for a revival. It's in me. And, and, and we have to start thinking that way. We need to start understanding who God is. And he says again in verse 3, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? When we get away from prayer and we get away from talking and communion with God, it's like we begin to work our own effort. Like, you know, I got to, you know, last week I talked about serving, serving in different areas of the church. And God doesn't want us to serve uh, to try to get brownie points because he loves us. He, he, he just wants us to serve to help him get the work done, right? And, and so we have to realize that we're serving because we love him and we, we want to serve him, not because we have to. But if you get away from following the spirit, you get into works. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible again. I, I got to do devotions. I got to go help at Catherine's Kitchen. I got to, you know... Go talk to my neighbor. I have to do it because I want God to be happy. And you get into works. And there's no life. How many see that? He says here, I ask you again, 
Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And that word, when, when Paul says, has God give, when he, does he give you the Holy Spirit or does he supply some translations? That word is a present tense word. It's continual. It's not past tense. That means he, he, he continues to supply your needs. And, 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 and uh, it, it's, it means to furnish, to fully supply, to aid, to contribute, to add, to minister nourishment unto. And so the Holy Spirit, when we believe the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to nourish you, begins to give you the ability and strength to overcome temptation and to walk with God and to change your life and to minister to others. It's a supply of the Spirit that's continually coming into your life. And, and the way we tap into that is through prayer. See, Satan's not worried about church services and good preaching. There's lots of good preaching. He's nervous about his saints getting in the secret place in their closet and praying. Because God begins to speak and begins to direct and begins to empower his people in the secret place. Can I hear amen? And so, what is the full message? What is the message of the gospel that we believe? You know, in many churches, the focus is repentance. And it is here too. Repentance is a good word, right? Repentance, forgiveness of sins for entrance into heaven. And so that's where it stops. So people are like, okay, I'm saved now. I'm going to heaven. And so I just have to get to church from Sunday to Sunday so I can get built up enough to get through and get to glory land. You know, I'm just going to suffer through this world and I'm just going to eventually get to heaven and God's going to help me and he's going to supply my needs when he wants to. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a struggling person. And, and we don't say it, but we think it. We're just trying to get by, right? We're trying to get to heaven. And we start saying, Lord, come, 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 come quickly because I want to get out of here. And that's the message. And, and then there's a sense of doing good works to maintain your acceptance to God. I got news for you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loved you when you were in that, the darkest place, and he reached out and he pulled you out of darkness. That's how much he loves you. So why are you trying to gain his acceptance? See, I have kids, and they've done dumb things, and they've gotten me upset sometimes, but love is never on the table for discussion. God loves you. And he disciplines you because he loves you, right? He's, he's a God of love and mercy and compassion, right? And so there's a sense of doing good works to maintain your acceptance before God. I need to pray. I need to share my faith. I need to go to church. I need to serve. And if you don't, then you begin to deal with fear, guilt, and shame. And we wear it like a garment. I just feel so guilty. You know, I'm not measuring up. You know, I'm ashamed of myself. And I'm afraid that God's going to judge me or not accept me. And you begin to move into these cycles because you're focusing on your works instead of focusing on him. If our focus is mainly on the law, then we struggle with our desire for lawlessness. It's whatever you focus on, you draw, you, you're drawn to. I got some teenagers that drive now, and I'm like, you know, stop looking at the person on the sidewalk, because you're probably going to hit them, okay? Focus ahead. How many know if you're staring at something, and next thing you know, you're in the gravel, right? Whatever you focus on is what you're drawn to. So Paul was preaching holiness and repentance, but he was saying, we have to look at it from a different perspective. 
And he says, I don't want you to focus on that because you'll be drawn to it. In fact, the Bible teaches us, says, in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, it says, But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Isn't that good news? You're not captive to the power of the law. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And so God is calling us to pray. So, so don't throw stones at me. I'm going to make a statement that sounds like it's wrong, but it's not. Listen, our focus as New Testament saints should not be on obedience to God. Our focus as New Testament saints should be on living in relationship to God. Amen? When your focus is, I want to pray, I want to talk to God, I want to, I want to have a relationship with God, I want to pray the scripture, I want to be in his presence, and your focus is that, you'll lose the appetite for sin. Because you're walking in the spirit, you're walking in, in, in tune, in frequency with the spirit of God, and you lose an appetite. See, for me, you know, you didn't have to tell me, stop watching R-rated movies. Because when I got born again by the spirit, and I spent time in his presence, if I was watching something that was inappropriate, I would feel like God's peace and love begin to lift. And I'd be like, no, 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 shut the garbage off. I don't want to ever live apart from God's love, joy, and peace. I want to live in his presence. And so it was living in the spirit that caused me to hate the things of the world. Amen? So we need to walk in the spirit. In relationship through prayer, there's, we develop obedience to him. Why? Because the foundation to obedience from the heart is love. So when you're in a loving relationship with somebody and they ask you to do something, you're actually, in a sense, wanting to do it, even if it's something like taking out the trash. Because you love your wife. I'm talking from my experience. And I don't want her to be upset. So I'll, because I love her, I'll, I'll help her. But if I don't love her, then I'm like, oh, man, you take out the trash yourself. In fact, I'll put you out. No, don't say that. <laughs> But we have, to, we have to love. Everything needs to be birthed out of a heart of love. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 10, I'll just summarize. Your spirit, say my spirit, is alive because of righteousness. So God took the righteousness of Christ and he gave it to you in replacement for your sin. So when he looks from heaven, he says, they're clean, they're righteous. The next verse, verse 11, says the Holy Spirit will give life to your mortal body. In other words, he'll give you the strength you need. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit supplies all of your needs, right? He's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness has been given to you in the Spirit of God. So it's like a package. It's like a, a package that's layered inside, and it's like an onion. You just keep on, and as you spend time with God, you're opening layer after layer. The goodness and the mercy and the greatness of God begins to come out as you spend time in prayer. And, and that's what God is calling us to. Verse 13 says, if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You are walking with God, you're in relationship with God, and the, the deeds of the body, the temptations uh, disappear, or they become very, very small in your life, and you can overcome. 
Romans 8, verse 15 to 17 says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know, so many Christians are afraid. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So sometimes we don't stop and just read it and think about it. If you're a joint heir with Christ, that means you have equal. We'll never be joint with Christ because he's divine. We'll never be divinity. But he's given us his authority. He's given us, the Bible says we're going to rule and reign with him. He, he, he wants everything the father has given him. He wants to give to us. He's like, you know, I'm your big brother and I'm, I, I'll always be God. You'll never be divine, but I want to share everything with you. And so if, if Jesus is the king of kings, then you're a prince or a princess. So why walk around with the shoulders? You know, oh man, life is so hard. You need to put your shoulders back and say the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is that's my life. He has cleansed me. He has washed me. The Spirit of God lives in me. He has a plan and a purpose. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm a prince. I'm a princess. I'm going to rule and reign with Christ in eternity. He has a plan for my life. And we begin to focus on that. And we begin to be thankful for what he's already accomplished in us. This doesn't make sense. But we don't read. Many Christians don't read. And you know, like... It's like this Romanian guy who was like, he needed to get out of Romania and he, 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 because there was uh, governmental issues there. And he said, I got to get to America. So he needed to buy a ticket and he had to work under, underground to make money to buy a ticket to go on the ship. So he, he saved and saved and saved and saved. He finally had enough money to buy a ticket for the ship. He gets on the ship and, and he's packed um, crackers and, 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 and dry foods and everything in his suitcase. He gets onto the ship and he watches as people go in and out of the dining hall and they're having like amazing food, steak and, you know, pasta and you know, gluten stuff too, you know, great, amazing meals three times a day. And he goes back to his room and he, he just opens his suitcase and he eats a few crackers. He's trying to survive. And so towards the end of the trip, as they're coming into New York Harbor, one of the ladies says, oh, hey, it's nice to meet you. We're, you know, where are you coming from? Because, well, Romania, where you came from, and we're, head, we're heading to New York. And he's, she goes, I have a question for you. I've never seen you in the dining hall. He goes, well, you see, I saved for years to get this ticket. I don't have enough for the food. She goes, read the back of the ticket. All the meals are included. He read the back of the ticket, and he was horrified because he could have had all this free food. And, and many Christians go through life like that. They, they, they never read the Bible for themselves. They never self-feed. They never meditate on the word. And they go through life just thinking, you know, I'm I just going to get by. And they're going to get to heaven and realize God is going to say, you could have enjoyed life a little bit. There was provision. There was nourishment for you. You could have been much more effective. But you didn't read it. You didn't read the ticket. Amen. So, when did we receive the spirit of adoption? Here's a question. When we believe the message. When we believe the message of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moved in. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7 says, Be anxious for some things. Nothing. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so why do you thank him as you're making a request? Why? Because 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that awesome? He, he hears us. And Jesus said to the disciples, you know, don't pray repetitious prayers. When you get alone in your, in, in, in your quiet place, don't pray those repetitious prayers. Because God already knows the, your needs before you ask him. God already knows what I need. So I can just, he just wants to hang out with us. And when you get in prayer and you say, God, I need this and this, he already knows. He just wants you to be with him. And so when you understand this, you have this confidence that he's going to take care of you. It has to be according to his will. For example, oh, he's really cute. I want to marry him. God, I, I don't have peace, but I really want him to ask me to marry him. God, would you have him ask? And meanwhile, he's like, he doesn't believe in God. He's an atheist. So, and you don't have peace about it, but you, I want him because he's cute. Uh, if I was a girl, I, you know, <laughs> teenage girl, obviously. Um, Lord, I know you've always called me to missions. I've always had missions, and now I've got two opportunities. I can go to India, or I can go to Hawaii. Lord, I really want to go on Hawaii, but I don't feel peace about it. I feel you want me to go to India, but Hawaii would be nice. I got a new bathing suit. I, want, I think it would be great. I, I want to go to Hawaii, but you know in your heart, God doesn't want you to go there, but how many have been in that situation, right? Uh, but you get to this place where... Y- If it's not his will, you're at peace. Why? Because you know that he knows you better than you know yourself. And you know, God, I know I don't really want to do this, but I know you're setting me up for greatness in doing this. You know, so, okay, Lord, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go up there and I'll serve, you know, I'll buy a new snowsuit, put away my bikini, or never mind, my uh, (laughs) bathing suit. I'll go to Nineveh. I know you, but you maybe, maybe God wants to connect you with your future there. Who knows? But you learn to trust God because you know that he knows you better than you know yourself. And, and, and I want to say this. Here's a key. Your peace is always determined by your level of trust. Your peace is always determined by your level of trust. So when I first got married, like my wife would say, I love you. You're my one and only. I only have eyes for you. But, you know, sometimes I'd have thoughts like, I wonder if she really means that or if she, she regrets not marrying, you know, this guy from Sweden or whatever, right? Your, your mind just goes out. You just say, is she really, fa- does she mean that? But now that I've been married to her for over 20 years, um, those thoughts don't even enter my mind. Because as, as I've, you know, as I've gotten to know her, I trust her. Maybe some of you haven't had that experience, but I had that experience with my wife. She, she's a godly woman. She, when she says something, she means it. It's from her heart. So I, the thoughts of her being unfaithful uh, doesn't even enter my mind. And I'm saying that today because you can have a place of prayer with God, a place of secret place where you talk to God, where you trust him so much that he could tell you to do the stupidest thing and you would do it. I actually have, here's a story, a guy in Bible school got up and shared a testimony because he said, Lord, I will do whatever you tell me to do. Just, I want to hear your voice. I want to speak to me. Tell me what to do. I'll do it, Lord. I love you with all my heart. And he was filling up gas. And the Lord said, 
And he heard it almost like audible. Go into that store and stand on your head in a handstand against the wall. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. That's a crazy thought. So he thought he was going nuts, but it just wouldn't leave. So he goes in and he goes, okay, here it goes. And he does his handstand and then comes down. He went to pay for his gas. And the guy behind the cash register was weeping. He says, what's wrong? He goes, well, strangest thing just happened. He said, what? He said, I, I just was angry with God. And I said, God, if you exist, but then have someone come in here and do a handstand. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But you're willing to do, that's a, an extreme, extreme example. Um, but God will ask us to do things that make no sense. But God knows, and we need to learn to trust him. The Bible says we're new creatures in Christ. We are spirit beings. The Holy Spirit has emerged with your spirit, and you become a new person, a new creation. We know 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. At the moment of salvation, there is no evolution in the kingdom of God. You didn't like morph into a saint. You became a saint when the Spirit of God came. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, just a few things became new. Is that what it says? No, all things have become new. Not a renovation, a rebuild. You know, I used to have a window company. and In Kingston, we have these century homes. They're like 120, 150 years old. And um, I'd go in and change the windows. And you can either do an insert window or a full removal. So an insert is when you remove the window panes and you put a, a vinyl window into the old frame. But a full removal is when you remove all the framing and you rebuild the framing and then you put your window in or usually the window comes with its own frame. You put it in. So I learned this over time with homes that are over 100 years old don't even offer a full removal because I'd be there and they, I want a full removal, put all new frames, the house is 150 years old and I would open up the window, take all the frame out and the customers would look down the wall and they'd be like, oh, there's no insulation. I'm like, yes, there is. There's some newspaper here and here's some horse hair. They put horse hair. There's a blanket, you know, someone's dirty underwear, you know, like, I mean, you, they would insulate anyone who's in renovations know what I'm talking about. They would use anything and stuff it in there. And so I, and, and, or then you'd see like all these ants come up or there's termites or something. And it's like suddenly the, the customer is panicking. So, so I have to rebuild half the wall and then they don't want to pay the bill. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so older homes, I always do inserts because I don't want to open up the mess. But see, God didn't just insert his spirit in you. He did a full removal. He took out the old man and he gave you a new spirit. And he cleaned out the termites and the horse hair. <laughs> Amen. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. I'm closing here in just a sec. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do you know what that means? I don't know what it means. And Paul said it was a mystery to him. We don't understand that. And if I tried to explain it to you, I've tried to explain to what I, people what I think it is, and then Judaizers rise up and say, oh, you can't say that. They get worked up. But here's the thing. We are the righteousness of God. Say that. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
Job chapter 21 uh, defines the wicked. And if you don't, if this, if this describes you, then it's describing that you're wicked in your heart. And, and, and the good news is all you have to do is come to God and humble yourself and say, God, I'm a sinner and I, I need your help. But listen what it says here. Yet the wicked say to God, depart from us. If we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. And we unfortunately have seen that in our country. Who is the almighty that we should serve him? What profit do we have if we pray to him? What's the purpose? And, you know, and there's a lot of people they would never even consider praying, talking to the Lord. But in Psalm 145, verse 18, here's what God says to the righteous. The Lord is near all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear or reverence him. He will also hear the cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. He hears the cry, and he actually gives us the desires of our hearts. Isn't that awesome? Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you that the foundation for prayer is a revelation of your glory in us, that we're saved, we're sanctified, we're washed in the blood, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We lift our heads high. We shake off fear, guilt, and shame. And, and if we fall and struggle in an area, instead of going into fear, guilt, and shame, we go into the Holy of Holies. We go into the presence of God to receive mercy and grace in time of need. God, help us. We need you. We need your strength. In Jesus' name. You know, when we begin to get this revelation of how God sees us and how he lives in us, and we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and up. You begin to see yourself as a prince or as a princess under the king of kings. You begin to live different. You begin to talk different. Then you begin to pray like Paul in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Because you're like, God, I know you're, you already know this. So thank you that it's coming. Amen. And that's why, you know, I, I, I share this in the first service, and some of you heard the story, but when my daughter was diagnosed with arthritis, when she was walking all crooked like this, and we didn't pray, we didn't pray and ask God to heal her, we just began to thank him for the healing, and we went to battle, and we took authority over the enemy, because we knew already that the healing was hers, and after five days of prayer and fasting, we praised God for her healing. We thanked God for her healing. We went into the hospital and they said, you know, she's going to have to go to sick kids hospital. She's got arthritis. This is something you're going to have to struggle with. I'll see you at our next appointment. I said, you did a great job, doc, but you won't see me again. And she goes, why? I said, because I believe in the power of prayer and she's going to be healed. And we began to thank God. Thank you, God. We had a prophet come in here and prophesy over her and said, you know what? Your daughter is going to have a dance school one day. She's going to be a dancer and a worshiper. And we said, well, we are going to believe God's report over the doctor's report. And we just stuck on it. And we knew that we knew that we knew. She came through it. Isn't that awesome? So I want to encourage you today. This is an encouragement message to walk like a prince, walk like a princess, throw your shoulders back. If you falter, if you fall, go boldly into the throne room of grace. Run to God in prayer. Don't run from God because he's the answer. When David screwed up, majorly, majorly, killed his general, took his wife, 
I mean, obviously the, the prophet exposed it, but he ran back to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Change me on the inside. So when you mess up, go to God. Say, God, you're the answer. Help me. Give me the strength. Don't run from God. Can I hear an amen? amen. Why don't we stand? Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word that is changing us, that is transforming us. We bind all spirits of fear, guilt, and shame, and we just thank you for your, your life-giving spirit that's in us, that is supplying continually the nourishment we need spiritually to walk in victory. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Just want to just leave the altars. If anyone just wants prayer for anything particular, Pastor Peter and I will be up here. We're willing to pray. You guys have an amazing week. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.